Oh, they're drilling next door. This is whack music. It's it's Radiohead. It's the best this... music of all time. Rich, I have a question oh, for you. Hopefully you can do better at your wedding next week than this. Uh, there is some Radiohead integration at the wedding. Okay. I assume Fish is going to make an appearance at some point. I can't ruin all the surprises, Rich. Or the, the few that I have. <laughs> anyway, welcome everybody to the... 72nd episode of the Light Shed podcast on September 10th, 2021, which also happens to be the second anniversary of Light Shed Partners. So we've made it two years, guys. Brennan, your your the voice quality sounds much better. Thank you for actually bringing a microphone this week. But since you're so rarely use it, I just want to give you <laughs> one pointer. You might need to step away from it just a little bit. Oh, just a little bit. Okay. Perfect. No, it's it's been but like it seven weeks. A since thousand he's been times here better. Microphone. Yeah. So welcome back to the microphone and the sultry tones. The, mic- the microphone era. <laughs> the sultry guess, tones of Brandon is, Ross. Is anyone going to have microphones for next week's podcast? Are we even doing the podcast next week? We're doing it before. I think we're going to do a special early edition of the podcast next week because it's never going to happen if we don't do it. It really has to happen Wednesday morning. I don't think it can happen because you're getting married, Brandon. It's a big week for you. It is a big week. It's also Yom Kippur's on Thursday. Rich will be arriving in Utah on Friday. Walt will be there Thursday. I'll be there Wednesday. It's happening. <laughs> it's wow. happening. There, there is that. I sound. There sounds is. So I mean, look, I, I, Brandon, I'm a media guy, I so I'm a little. I still, I still think about runaway brides. So I mean, you still have that issue of runaway like, brides or runaway grooms. Come on, or runaway gym. I think this week we should drop Brandon's um, registration link in the podcast for any of our podcast listeners <laughs> that want to get Brandon a wedding gift. Since you all seem to have a very personal relationship with, with us, that's what we've been told. We're, we're going to drop the the registration link in the uh, in the podcast. I actually randomly got a gift from somebody at our former employer yesterday. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's always nice to get gifts, Brandon. I guess. I mean, um, what did you get Lightshed for its second anniversary? What did I get? What? <laughs> My contributions to the top 13 coming yes. out of the summer, which was a fucking awesome piece. If you haven't read it, um, it's like 13 pieces in one. I thought it. Well, you can also pretty, listen to pretty, it. Pretty great. It you could like listen to it. Rich actually recorded the whole thing. Even your pieces, he didn't have you record your own pieces. No, he what didn't. Wrong he, he did it all on his own. I don't. I guess he wanted it to be consistent in sound. Plus, no, Rich actually, has- that's not true. That's actually not true at all. I just wanted it to get done, and I knew if I made, <laughs> let, if, I, if I knew if I left it to you to get done, it wouldn't have gotten done. I, as it is, I think I finished reading at one a.m. And so, the how idea long that did it gonna- take you to fucking record that? I mean, it was what like thirteen or fourteen thousand words. What I've learned really well is that you basically in GarageBand, you just pause. And so every time I get tired, yep. I just pause. Correct. Take some water. Take a sip of water. a little bit and then just restart. And okay. It I'm ends say, up- like, yeah. I mean, look, the economist, I, I listen to the economist. You can get the same thing that we have, a private link. It's so much easier to be able to get through content by listening to it, especially because you can put it on one, one and a half or whatever it is. 
It's just even if you start and stop, I think it's just easier to like finding your place where you're reading. Like it's just yeah, it's just so easy with audio just to listen wherever you are and pick up for a few minutes. I actually what I've been doing is I write the note and then I read it. And by reading it. Oh, yeah, totally. It, it creates edits that I think are beneficial to for the text readers. Yeah, I, I always am kind of like reading out loud when I write anyway. I think it's that's a product of me having like a very conversational writing style, though. So do you pace in the halls of your apartment complex just reading, just talking about? I'm media? always pacing, as you know. <laughs> pacing and talking about media is basically what I do. <laughs> Rachel, Rachel actually did ask me that question. She's like, is Brandon going to pace at the Huppa next week? Like, is he gonna, like, <laughs> Probably. She was just like wondering, like, if Jesse doesn't get down there, down the aisle fast enough, does he like pace? Like, just how is that going to work? Runaway groom. <laughs> I don't, okay, I don't anyway. imagine you being a runaway groom. No show up, possibly, but not <laughs> runaway. Or <laughs> just a wander off group. <laughs> <laughs> A wander in late groom. I'm definitely not planning on arriving at time. There's no chance that that thing's happening on time. Oh no, no, no! It is. Yeah. Okay. There's there's a very tight time schedule. I could assure you. Okay. I'm taking the over on that, and we will renew. We will come back to this next week or the week after. Okay. Uh, let's get on. To why the don't we go to the first slide? slide? Yeah, because we got down to the nitty gritty. Let's get this show on the road. Brandon, you want to start since this is sure. epic suing? It's a, I mean, this affects everybody in the media industry, anyone who does any business um, online, actually. So court issues permanent injunction in Apple versus Apple case. Epic major, versus Apple. Epic, epic versus Apple. Oh, shit. Not Apple versus Apple. Apple there versus Apple is sort of like Kramer yeah, that versus Kramer, weird. which was a really good movie. I did like that movie, but this is Epic versus Apple. <laughs> um, epic versus Apple case, a major win for Epic Games and Fortnite. Judge Yvonne Gonzalez Rogers issued a new permanent injunction in the Epic versus Apple case on Friday morning, handing a major setback to Apple's App Store model. Under the new order, Apple is, and I'm reading this directly um, from the ruling, permanently restrained and enjoined from prohibiting developers from including in their apps and their metadata buttons external links or other calls to action that direct consumers to purchasing mechanisms in to purchasing mechanisms in addition to in-app purchasing and two communicating with customers through points of contact obtained voluntarily from customers through account registration within the app but i do think you know it, we don't have it up on the slide here but i do think it's important to, to recognize that um, this Aaron Griffith just tweeted this from the Epic versus Apple verdict. The court cannot ultimately conclude that Apple is a monopolist under either federal or state antitrust laws. Success is not illegal. Epic Games failed in its burden to demonstrate Apple is an illegal monopolist. Uh, so just a little bit of added context. But, uh, you know, Brandon, in your mind, what's the biggest takeaway here from from your perspective? From my perspective, um Avoiding, I mean, it's obvious, right? There are legitimate ways now to drive transactions out of the Apple App Store and to avoid the Apple tax. And they are cumbersome, though. Like, you still can't create like 
this lawsuit happened because Epic built their own app store inside of Fortnite. You still can't do it inside of Fortnite. Like Spotify can't have an app store inside of Spotify. No, under they can send you out to the web. There's friction. So this is the question I have: Can where you're redirected to have different pricing than is in the app store? The answer is we don't honestly. I don't know. know. I mean, because if not, then you may as well avoid the friction and just purchase in the purchase in the app store. As the end user. Yeah. And it becomes more of a nothing burger. So mm. that's, that's well, the why, big... how could you, how, how could you not? Well, I don't know. That's a great question, Brandon. Th- that that's my number one question right. is whether it, I, or not it has to yeah, be. It's not my problem as a consumer to help. Epic. Yeah, exactly. You're just going to do what's easiest for yourself as a consumer. Uh, just, just like when you go um, and pay for things via credit card, despite the fact that the merchant gets charged a couple is, is of the, percent. Is the assumption here, Brandon, do you think that um, when you click the link, it's for every time, meaning that if I'm in the game and if I set it up once, is it good to go for the rest of the time I'm in the game? Or like every time I want to buy a new skin or do whatever the fuck people do in Epic um, that I have to link out every single time? Is that conceptually how it works? Say that again. Meaning like, does the link basically just allow you to set up the payment? And then when you're in the app in the future and you make a future purchase, it just automatically knows that you click that first link or is it every incremental purchase? I would assume the latter, but it's, it's not clear based on the limited amount that we've read. Right. So to your point then, um, if it's, if it's in gaming and this, these are sporadic, not like a monthly vig that you would pay to uh, that net Netflix would pay or whatever. Um, the annoyance of going out of the app every time, unless you're saving yeah. some amount of money. Friction like, again, friction. So I don't think that Epic, I mean, look, Epic's not an idiot. Like this, they don't go for moral victories. So I, I think my guess is that they will be able to charge less for something. Oh, I think this is what this. not what Epic was really, you know, fully going for. Which was I what? think it was a, a part of it. I think Epic's point was that the App Store fees were prohibitively high, and they were trying to get those reduced. So I just want to go back because Spotify has been leading this charge for a lot longer than Epic. Everyone gives um, the team at uh, Tim Sweeney and Epic credit for all of this, but if we really go back, this is really Daniel X battle at Spotify and. So this is from 2015. This actually happened. I think people sort of forget. But Spotify actually did an ad campaign saying instead of $12.99 for Spotify premium, it's only $9.99. You just have to go to Spotify's website to sign up versus signing up on the App Store um, where they literally had and they literally walked you through in the ad campaign how to turn off the auto renew inside of the App Store and then go to the website and sign up for only $9.99 for the exact same product. Eventually, they just gave up because I think Apple ended up saying this wasn't okay. But the original idea was to get around it exactly with what Brandon just said, meaning two different prices depending on where it was located. And so off App Store was cheaper, which is what they were what they were basically were messaging. From what it sounds like, there's nothing to stop that in today's ruling. But again, obviously, the devil will be in the details of how this actually is worded. Um, you guys seem stunned. No, I just, I think, I think it has to be that it's, you're allowed to do that to the lower price then, because what other, what is the, what's the point? Otherwise we obviously, 
this is breaking news. We have unless you make an emotional appeal. <laughs> emotional appeal. Give me a no, break. but but but, but let's but the, but the reality is, but hold on, Walt. Let's just say let's play this out. If the friction is not a big deal, right? Because you know one of the things I've thought about going back friction to the is pod- always a big deal, Rich. Right. So the question is, like right now, a podcaster who does podcast premium on Spotify, sorry, podcast premium on Apple, you pay thirty percent vig right? You're paying to Apple. You know, there's a 30% take rate on premium podcasts. There's a 5% take rate on Patreon, but there's a lot of friction and a lot of work for a podcaster to send their people there. And so I think the question is, you know, will Apple realize that it's still too complicated for most people? So do they actually lower price or is the friction enough where there can be this chasm? Right now it's 30 versus five for premium podcasts. I wonder how much friction there is what pricing, how much do you have to lower price before people will actually shift over in big enough numbers that Apple would actually lower their lower their take? And I don't know my, the answer. My guess is they, well, I don't know, but I might get, people are fucking lazy. Um, yep. So like, I, I remember years ago when Apple, excuse me, when AT&T added a dollar to the administrative fee and, and we calculated it generated like a billion or two and it got a lot of media like, I don't know. Like um, people are also cheap. So if you can save money, I, I don't know. It's a good, it's a, it'll be a good thing. I, I would guess Apple considers itself a premium product. So they'll probably hold on and not reduce price if they don't, if they're not <laughs> legally required to reduce the fee from X to Y um, and just say, look, it's a premium experience. If you want to go out and save money, that's up to you. And they probably have, I don't know, 30% breakage. So I don't think, I don't think this right. is necessarily going to impact Apple's willingness to um, to cut price, but we'll say. Right. I mean, I guess the, the end result here is what Spotify was trying to do, and, and some other apps back in 2015 tried this. They basically raised price on the Apple store version of their apps yeah. as a way to drive them. Apple then said, you have to use our app store as the only place you can pay. You can't message elsewhere. And so that's what begot all of these lawsuits, whether it's lawsuits or in Europe or U.S. here. So my guess part, is you're right. Part well, of it, I, I mean, listen, Apple is was going to get the majority of the um, of the transactions in app anyway, because that is just much more con- consumer friendly, right? So cutting the overall price is is still the the biggest deal and that's what epic was going for it, yeah, but what if the end result the of this of their lawsuit anyway right so the, but the if- more i think about it i just think it's impossible for that i think they are going to be able to offer a lower price outside of the app and i think man i think apple's just not going to care and say fine get your lower price if you want to go through the friction of clicking the link ours is a beautiful experience and we'll retain 60 to 70 percent of customers buying shit with the with you know, with our payment system versus going outside of the app. And Bottom line, all- though. Yeah, but hold on. What what if the alternative is everybody raises price on the Apple Store and keeps their price off the Apple Store? Doesn't yeah, Apple make more money? Difference. No, no. Apple would make more money because thirty percent of a higher number is actually more money. Sure. Oh, well, that's no one's not, talking about that's that. Not, that's not necessarily the case, Rich, because there's something called price elasticity also in the game itself. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> They want people actually buying shit in the game. So yeah, everything everything's optimized on price for consumer willingness, right? And looking for the sweet spot on the elasticity curve. 
Um, anyway, it just, there's several winners, major winners um, in the public markets on this. I mean, Bumble Match kind of like come to mind um, as being the most kind of leveraged to the um, to this win. But obviously, the mobile gamers, um, Zynga. Zynga's up 8% today. I mean, this is yeah, literally- it was, already, it was up like five or six before this happened. The, the bigger uh, question is, what is the impact to one of the top five owned stocks that is in the S&P 500 and all these other major indices? Like, I don't give a shit about like the zing and all that stuff. That's, that's great for them for sure. But like, how bad is this for Apple? I mean, this is a slippery slope in terms of not slippery slope, but like of all of the stuff with the regulators and the hearings and everything else, this is like one of the first tangible um, movements. And, you know, services has been part of the narrative before. Yes, iPhone sales were great last year. Um, growth was good. Um, but like if that starts to moderate again and you're not, your service growth is impacted by this type of stuff. Yeah. I mean, isn't App Store the biggest component of services? And there's cloud and there's other shit in there, but yeah, game, but come and gaming on, and gaming right? within and gaming let's look at it this way within yeah. the app store, gaming right is which, the biggie. Which was car which was carved out of last week's concession. I mean, there's so. other stuff in services, right? Google paying for search. There's the allocation of the phone that gets goes into services. There's iCloud, there's subscriptions and things like that. But within the app store, yeah, this is the big one. Games, okay, so, games. So let's just play this out. Let's just play this out. All of this is true. Apple sees this, everyone starts designing lower fees off store or raises the price on store so they can keep their prices off store. End result is if it really matters to Apple, they're going to lower their take down from 30 to probably towards 15. Everyone's going to still use the Apple store and the Apple store is still going to keep growing like it has been like crazy. And Epic so like- gets their end result. Let's see what, let's see what happens. I mean, again, there's, <laughs> there's a very big detail that we don't know the answer to or maybe the answer is out there and we're just not educated on it which will probably we probably will be after the recording of this podcast because this news came out as we were you know kind of getting ready to to do this should we just so, go to a little bit of a dunk on all of this because someone's always got no. a dunk on things oh well, yeah a good friend friend of the podcast and former fcc chairman ajit pai and he's he's trolling apple um, and be, because when Apple was contesting or making comments about what, what the Republicans were doing in terms of net neutrality, um, Ajit pulled this out of one of their comments, which was today, this is Apple to the FCC. Today, innovators, big and small, develop new online services and applications premised on the assumption that they will be able to reach consumers without encountering interference or needing permission from a, and then this word said, a broadband provider. So I think he's trolling them and saying, life comes at you fast, epically fast in some cases. Great troll. Oh, 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 pie. Oh, oh. What a Very pun. Great, what a pun. Great, great troll. But yeah, like that's what they, you know, that's what happens. Like you want to like, and go after broadband providers and <laughs> And then it's going to come back around on tech. Let's move on to uh, something that um, sort of goes back to our Google Glass days, Walt. I still remember oh being at Chelsea Lord. Market and trying on our Google Glass. And then Brandon and I were at the Snapchat Roadshow and they were showing us spectacles for the first time. And we got so excited about spectacles. And then I, think my- I, I think I have a pair of them somewhere in this house. <laughs> Should I go grab them? 
Well, I no. think what's funny is, is <laughs> no, is, is is Snapchat doesn't even believe it's a consumer product anymore. They now believe it's just a developer product or creator product that basically can help developers sort of see what the world looks like, see what the AR world looks like using the glasses rather than actually even a consumer product anymore. And now Facebook is rolling out a company that is not exactly known for privacy, Walt, like a company like Apple. And Facebook's rolling out glasses that have cameras and video recording and answer phone calls and play podcasts directly in your glasses. I just don't, I don't see it, Brandon. I don't see it at all. I don't care. I mean, what's interesting about this whole Facebook thing is, is there even an AR component to this? Not in the glasses itself. It does not appear. It seems like that happens. Right. Isn't isn't that right. Isn't that kind of the power of of wearing glasses is of an eventual ar component i know this is sort of a stepping stone probably but just like recording video recording audio doing things that you can do anyway um um with your phone like it's like kind of a who gives a shit so like imagine i was sitting at your wedding watching you at your wedding with these glasses on wouldn't it be great if it could replay for me the snowmobile crash that happened not far away you know a year before no i don't think that's what he's talking about it was six months before when you're going to a cocktail party you don't recognize someone and it gives you their name and when the last time you talked to them about what their kids names are and talk to them so i mean and like with facebook in particular right they already have Um, the machine vision to identify people in pictures they have everybody's um information you know so if you're facebook friends with someone it should be able to pull up a profile around them that's probably where this eventually goes my nest doorbell recognizes a face and and will tell me if a certain person is at the door so like i don't know it's kind of a weird problem maybe they don't do that on purpose because they think it might impact sales because that's sound creepy. feels creepy. creepier yeah, yeah. The word i, I was mean and, and the whole facebook creepiness is but here's the thing sometimes you just have to embrace who you are and facebook you're already creepy people already can consider <laughs> you creepy so like why hide it because you're just going to assume anyone you're trying to sell these glasses to is going to assume there's some creepy ass advertising shit behind it so you might as well just embrace it and say yeah we're going to embrace the creepiness and, and give you a great way to interact with people and give you information on people matrix style or whatever Whatever that movie was. Meanwhile, forget about AR. It's a, I mean, Facebook. Every I mean, we wrote about this this week, like Facebook's role in the in the metaverse. Um, yeah, Mark is just all in on VR anyway. If you go back and you listen to that Verge cast with Neelay Patel, it sounds like Mark believes everyone's just going to be Matrix style <laughs> for forever. Yeah, I just, I have a really tough, I mean, look, I had a really tough time with 3D, obviously. I mean, we, you know, yeah, we, th- we, we poured lot. we poured cold water on all of the excitement that everyone was going to be sitting at home now, wearing 3D goggles. Right. Now, listen, I mean, Mark's point about all of that. Uh, oh, with 3D. I was, yeah, no, I'm just we saying, also like, I just, tried, we did so much in VR. The headsets were heavy. The presence wasn't there probably because of, um, the fidelity of the screens and eye tracking and other things that are improving. I it's just gotten a lot better. Yeah, it has gotten a lot better. I know Walt likes his uh, 
what is it is it the rift 2 or yeah yeah oculus rift 2 but, yeah, but he has, he's not like using it he, even though he loved it for no. fitness he's not like using it every day like it's no, just not it's, a it, it's it's another arrow in the quiver of communications and entertainment and it's not gonna ever be the end all be all it's just gonna be another choice just like texting's a choice just like whatsapp's a choice just like calling's a choice and zooming and all these things it's just going to be another thing. It's not going to be the predominant form, um, even though uh, Facebook. I mean, Mark pretty much says it all out. He's like, but 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 Brendan, Facebook sort of needs it to be because if I, I'm just going to call an audible, like if you think about sort of like the most metaversey things that are happening right now, you know, you should read these two slides because I think this plays perfectly into like. Mark's vision is 3D interactive in in terms of 3D interactive experiences. They're kind of nowhere. Um, Roblox um, and Epic are the ones who are really enabling that um, with any type of scale, especially in terms of scale Roblox, because they have, you know, all of the developer tools and and the UGC platform um, fully, you know, up and running. Anyway, this these are two music things related to the building blocks of the metaverse. Roblox presents the 21 Pilots concert experience. Join Grammy winning Grammy award-winning duo 21 Pilots on an electrifying musical adventure where you decide how the concert unfolds. So agency um, is included in this. Tune in on Friday, September 17th at 4 p.m. And then from our good friend, Allison Goldberg, I expect a full piece on this Brando Lightshed. The Verge Radiohead teams up with Epic Games for Kid Amnesia Exhibition, um, which was which is basically a fully interactive Radiohead exhibition that's going to be on PS5 that was announced with a bunch of other uh, PlayStation announcements yesterday as part of the kind of 20-year anniversary re-release of Kid A and Amnesiac, which is, is why we be started of, it, with Idiotech. And is this inside of Fortnite? I don't believe it is, Rich. So it's this is un, it's, it's yes. epic, but it's outside of Fortnite. That's right. But as you know, um, a couple of things. One is Epic has um, the game engine yep. um, that allows this on third-party platforms or the Unreal Engine. Um, number one and number two, I think this is, um, this is a a Sony exclusive thing, uh, that they were doing. At least that's what it sounds like. It just feels to me like gaming and these, you know, I, I, sorry, I shouldn't use the word again. No, it's 3d interactive experiences. 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 I I really have to just use the word experiences. Interactive media. There's sure. It just feels like that's the most tangible part of this sort of like launch or journey into the metaverse versus for, for, for now, for now. Yeah. I just, I, I I'm just, I, I guess I'm just still skeptical that VR is the, you know, where we end up. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just, I, I, I think, I, I think it'll be a part of, again, I think it'll be a part of things where it's necessary. Another, another arrow in the quiver. That's all. Walter. Yes. Do you want to read the next slide? Sure. So for our podcast tweet. listeners, Rich brought up a uh, tweet. Um, I'm not going to read every word of the tweet. It's basically talking about Verizon's uh, new NFL deal um, with 
you know, basically dropping streaming, which was driving what was a four $450 million a year payment to only just being like an ad deal, which was going to be a hundred million. So basically it's an end of a deal. This got spun by both sides is like a continuation, but it's really, okay, great. You're going to have a hundred million in advertising in terms of 5g. So I guess the question then, Rich is, um, you know, and by the way, there was a fifth year to this term that they let Verizon out of. So if the NFL gives up a couple hundred million dollars, where is that going to go? Well, so, so the deal was supposed to go through not just this current season, but through the 22 season, you know, that ends in the 23 Super Bowl. Now it's going to end after this season. And so the NFL can relicense these rights out earlier. And, you know, look, we were shocked that they chose Verizon in the first place because nobody was going to the Yahoo Sports app. I mean, it just, it never really made a lot of sense to us. It always felt like being able to watch every single you know, being able to watch your your local games on your mobile phone and the national games on your mobile phone seemed like a huge opportunity for somebody. Uh, and you know, back four years ago, we were thinking about Facebook. Supposedly, Facebook was the cover bid. You know, under Verizon, they didn't end up winning. But we always thought it should be a mobile company where you're going there every day, and so that it, you know, rather than nobody opens up the Yahoo Sports app, right? Unless you're you know a diehard Yahoo Sports fantasy player, so but you open up. Joe sure. Bones as everyone no, knows, I, a diehard know Yahoo fan it, in general. I don't know if a $400 million a year deal was primarily about Yahoo. They also have a wireless business where they were offering wireless customers the ability to stream a game. So, Sure, but the, but the last contract was all company. It wasn't restricted to Verizon. So you could use, like I could use that app on T-Mobile. So I was able to watch the games on T. The old deal, yeah. the old 250 deal was exclusive. This deal was not exclusive. It was just had to occur within one of Verizon's owned apps or the NFL's app. And Verizon was making the ad dollars within the app, I guess, yeah. or the sponsorship of the app. So now I think the question is going to be two things. It either This is either going to get folded in to the larger NFL media sale. Remember, they're selling a portion or a stake in the NFL network, yeah. Red Zone, and their websites. Now you could actually have the mobile contract be part of that. Or it could just be a straight up, mobile deal like the Verizon Doesn't deal. Doesn't the NFL Sprint? like to cut things up rather than bundle them together? Is that the better way to make money and broaden your distribution so you have as many different people as possible watching the product? So the answer is 100%. But the one thing really missing, you know, the only sort of media rights included within this sort of sale that they're trying to do is the eight games on NFL Network. So if you really want to juice interest in this, especially if you think like a DraftKings or a FanDuel, like You've got sports betting companies with pretty, you know, 25 plus billion dollar valuations. You know, maybe they just have interest directly. The question is, is would they pay even more if there was more to this? And I don't know. You, you could be right. This could just be purely. How does that work a- with sports betting, though? Because I can see if I have the content, I can layer over some betting in, in the content. But they, they don't have rights nationwide, right? So there's it's like a regional betting versus a nationwide content. Do I have that right, Brandon? So you'd be able to watch so you'd be able to watch your local game. So like if yeah, there yeah. was a Giants game or so if you're in Philly, that's, let's use your example. That's, you're in that's Philly. All, like it, it, it's uh what do you call it? Um location based. Right, but you're saying you would they would segment these rights to like five different betting partners depending on who has the rights in that market. 
why not? Well, you could. I, I guess I guess anything is possible. But I was thinking most of these companies, if you go with the big ones, are in, 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 are in yes, are in all of the states that are legal. You're not choosing RSI, which is in yeah. three states. There's, you're there's choosing couple, right. There's all a of couple the states that are legal. Which, there's, like, there's a couple yeah. of states where there's exclusivity elements that would have to be. And look, there's some places where it won't work. But my guess is in the major states, you're not going to have exclusivity and you're going to have the top FanDuel, DraftKings. Uh, look, Walt, you could be right. Maybe this isn't going to betting. You could make a real case why YouTube or Facebook or some mobile company absolutely wants these rights. They Facebook was in the bidding last time. This would obviously be transformative to Facebook video if all of a sudden they had you know, the mobile exclusive to all NFL games. So you're right. It, it doesn't have to be betting. It just seems like the dollars being thrown around by these sports betting companies is so extreme. It just feels to me like that's the natural buyer of these rights. Um, let's move on to Walt's success in predicting Marvel movies. So <laughs> our, our good friend, Jitesh Pandya, said, stop me if you've heard this before. Shang-Chi performed stronger than estimated on Labor Day Monday with a final four-day opening weekend box office of $95 million. Remember, Walt took the over on $50 million. Whether that was three days or four days makes no difference because it was 75 for the Dude, three days and 94 for the four Walt, days. I so, don't understand why you didn't bet for real. Well, I Walt, actually had doubts after seeing the, the movie because it wasn't fabulous it, in the theater that i was did in so, so well and it, on rotten tomatoes i think it was like a 98 percent audience and 92 percent critics i don't know this rotten you tomatoes say has people gang up and make ratings one way or another so i'm just giving you my personal opinion i didn't think it was a great launch for the fourth whatever wave of marvel um but clearly it did well um and I think there wasn't there an acceleration of the timeline from Disney's next thing that they moved it up to October 1st. No, Venom actually moved up by two weeks, which is a Marvel-esque film, but it's actually owned by Sony. Sony moved it up by gotcha. two weeks as a result. And then one other thing happened. No confirmation of this, but a friend of the pod, Matt Baloney, who now um, is over at Puck News, a, a new news startup, uh, he broke a story last night that Eternals is has supposedly Disney's decided that it's going to get a similar 45 day exclusive theatrical uh, release before it goes to Disney plus. And so the, the interesting thing is, is that the window has gone from 90 days down or 75 to 90 days down to 45 days. But the other thing that's interesting is home entertainment. This is what sort of no one's talking about. DVDs, digital downloads is simply just being replaced by streaming. That whole window is just literally disappearing um, with with streaming taking over. And I, I feel like no one in Hollywood is really talking about that. They're just so fixated on, hey, the theatrical release, but they're missing that the entire sequencing is actually changing, not just getting condensed. Rich, what's the release schedule for Dune? I'm, I'm sensing that that's going to have some big numbers in the theater. Is that a, 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 a similar release anywhere? Um, despite the... Um, the hatred of the director who I think we've spoken about. I think that's Dennis, right? Uh, he's not terribly yeah. happy about a villain. The way simul or something. Yeah, whatever it is. He's not terribly happy about a simultaneous release, but this will be a simultaneous release as will matrix. And I don't know if you saw the trailer, the trailer looks incredible. It's December 22nd. I think the excitement on Dune. maybe this will be the call. What's going to do better Dune or matrix. Both of those are probably things people want to see in the theater. We'll That's my home. guess. What if Dune, which is, let's say it, it's the same release as um, 
the uh, the Marvel movie that's getting the lawsuit right now ends up crushing the numbers and just hey maybe you just you're not a good enough actress to attract enough revenue. Well, we we do have a live used in a court of law. Other people were able to drive um, ticket sales. We do have a live shot of Walt at Shang Chi last week. Uh, I'm sorry. This is actually Nicole Kidman in the theater. Oh, Uh, good one, Rich. (laughs) You made a funny. Uh, So Nicole Kidman is now the star of a $25 million AMC um, uh, uh, basically marketing campaign. I don't think AMC's ever done AMC a marketing theaters, campaign. Yeah. AMC theaters has never done a marketing campaign as far as I'm aware, but they just did a $25 million campaign. God knows what Nicole Kidman, but the comedy of this is that in the video, in the, like the two minute clip, she's literally sitting almost the entire time in a theater with no other people. <laughs> and I just, I like the thought process of, don't you think you would have stuffed the theater with like, tons of people to make it seem like the movies was awesome and crowded and packed again. And instead in every shot of the entire two minutes, you never see another human in a movie theater. So it's just sort of the Is irony. Is she wearing a mask? I did not see a mask. Uh, and I did not see whether or not she said she was vaccinated, but I think, I, but who knows? Who knows? <laughs> that was generally my experience. The, it was, it ended up being, I, I, went, I got bounced to the IMAX. I prefer the Dolby theater, but I did go to AMC. I bought high margin popcorn and some soda. And this was uh, 2D, 2D IMAX. Yeah, I don't 3D. It's terrible. I, although I did just watch Jaws 3D. I'm going through the Jaws of my home stream. And that whole movie was like geared towards a 3D viewing experience. But I digress. It was about 20% full for IMAX. Um, it was a 430 showing. So you could say it's, but it's like the first day. You would think like a Marvel movie um, IMAX, you, that thing should have been more full. But so, but they still put up good numbers, I guess. I mean, wait, look, they put up really good numbers considering. No one's ever. First of all, no one's ever put out a movie on Labor Day, like literally ever. Like it's usually a desolate weekend for for movie going. Uh, so there's that. Two, I think there was definitely sort of like a there was certainly a movement, you know, sort of you know Black Panther esque movement that certainly fueled kind of cultural awareness of this film that certainly helped. And the reviews, to Brandon's point, were good. I mean, really solid across the board. So I, you know, I, I don't know. I think that the the interesting thing is Disney stock didn't really do anything. And the, the sort of the, the debate I've been having uh, with a bunch of investors across the week is imagine Disney had put a film with that much cultural excitement, that much buzz around it only on Disney Plus and had just given it away. How many people would have signed up? Imagine if the Disney had come out with a release on Monday morning saying blank millions of people signed up or this, you know, tens, 20 million people watch this film on Disney Plus. I guess the stock actually would have gone up more than it yeah, did. But, the, but you know what? You know what, office. though, Rich? Maybe they've already penetrated correct audience exactly yep. on Disney Plus. It's the, it's the Marvel; and they've already signed up. So, like, you're not it. getting those incremental. It's not growing the market. That yep. just speaks to the, the the who is on Disney. Maybe uh-huh. when they have something new, it helps you raise price, of, though. So now you price get is to really double. Low. So now you get to double dip. Well. You're not making money at six ninety seven ninety nine. You've got to get that price point up. But yeah, I I hear you. I remember the average person's paying like five. Uh, let's go on to management changes. We've got a whole bunch. I'm going to start with um, Paramount. Hold on, no, no, these are interrelated. Yeah, okay. let's start with what the lead in of this was supposed to be. Perhaps you know we went a little bit off there. Was yes that last week. And I think we even talked about this on the podcast. We had Hans Vestberg, who's the CEO of Verizon, tweeting um, about Guru, who used to run Yahoo Plus, saying, as the Yahoo deal comes to a close, I want to personally thank Guru for the, and the entire Verizon media team for their tremendous work. 
will be rooting for you hard as you enter this new chapter. Um, and in the words of SpongeBob, one week later, Guru has been moved aside. They brought in a new CEO. Um, is it Jim Lanzoni or Jim Lanzone, Brandon? Lanzone. Jim Lanzone. So Jim Lanzone um, leaves Tinder. Um, this is a funny t- tweet saying swipes right to take the CEO job at Yahoo. Um, so I don't know if you wanted to chat about what's going on at Tinder and some of the management changes there. No, I, I mean, well, first of all, you know, <laughs> match Tinder has done quite well. They got included in the S P this week. And obviously this news on the app store is extremely positive for them. But the one weird thing with, with all of matches success, there has been a lot of turnover um, at, at match Tinder. Like if you just go through like Jim Lanzone was there, you know, for what a year um, uh, and he succeeded Ellie and Ellie was only there a couple of years after Blatt and before Blatt. Um, it was, I don't know, Sean Rad multiple times, which is tied to the, to the lawsuit. And then at the, at the parent company, um, you know, we've had three CEOs in the last, I don't know, four years also. So and there was this little lawsuit just, overhanging. It's, just, it's still on top yeah, of that. So yeah, that, just that, little thing. that lawsuit's about to come to a head. I think next month, the trials, um, set to begin. I don't know if they're going to wind up settling, um, before that, but there's billions of dollars on the line. My guess is that if it Max actually goes to trial for a billion actually, dollars, if it actually goes to trial, I might actually have to go to the courtroom just to oh, see God. some of the people that show up. So, but the larger point here, though, is that, um, and I had a little bit of debate on this with Twitter, um, is, you know, I think a lot of times management changes don't get paid attention enough by investors and, and others and companies that are, and also maybe management teams that that should change i mean I, you know we addressed this week and with t-mobile that you know john ledger had this amazing run the stock beat the market handily and then you know as part of the transaction closing ledger's out uh, mike sievert gets promoted new cfo there's just a major changeover at a time when you're doing this major company integration you know these these type of things are important um to pay attention to I mean, management and I mean, obviously this is more critical in our early stage investing that we do, Um, but management's everything. (laughs) No. And I I think if you think about the media space in general, one of the things that we've been very critical on is that most of the executives that have taken over have sort of had very much, you know, it's basically promotion of existing executives with legacy thinking. That's why I think, you know, I mean, the one thing that sort of blew us away over the last couple of years, and we had him on the day he started, but the, the you know, the, the surprise of Jason Kylar, I did that right, by yeah. the way, um, taking over as a head of Warner Media, that was a sort of out of the box hiring of somebody who is not a traditional entertainment executive. And if you think about who's had the best performance of streaming subs in the US this year, it's HBO Max. Like there's yep. no doubt that the strategy is working. Uh, and you know the programming is resonating with consumers, and the strategy is working and growing subs. And uh, you know they don't get a lot of credit. You know a lot of people throw darts and say, you know, look at all the challenges, the problems he caused in Hollywood. I mean, I just go back to, you know, I mean, Ted Sarandos and Reed Hastings caused a lot of problems in Hollywood, and now they dominate Hollywood. And, but perhaps you know, no the more interesting thing is the companies that uh, or the boards that aren't making moves. And why does it? Why should it take? 
Elliot um, to to buy a stake in a company and push for management change or whatever? Why aren't there more questions that are aggressive towards management teams on conference calls and pressure by? I mean, a lot of funds will say, "Well, we vote, you know, by selling our shares." And I guess maybe that's one way of doing it. But you know, there perhaps should be more accountability in the C suite. Well, and I think so, that's what's interesting. So that's what's interesting about Paramount is Sherry Redstone seems like she's flexing is what all the reports are that this was very much driven by Sherry, uh, you know, chairman or chairwoman of, of Viacom CBS. Jim Giannopoulos is stepping aside at Paramount as chairman and CEO of the film division. And Brian Robbins, who, you know, Br- Brandon and I met when he was literally drawing on a napkin, crazy. drawing out the concept for awesomeness TV. And we've watched him. Through the acquisition by DreamWorks, the takeover of that asset by Comcast Universal, and then him going over to be, he actually worked at Paramount divisionally, like doing some sort of what I would call youth films and, and sort of younger films at, at Paramount before getting the nod at Nickelodeon. And now he's going to run all of Paramount. And I just think it's interesting because this is a great choice because he understands how digital fits in, um, where to put content. He's been very thoughtful about how to use YouTube, um, especially for Nickelodeon. Uh, and he's replacing a guy who, you know, has been around for a very long time. Good executive, but very good and has had a lot of success at Fox. But I, I do think that the movie business is changing the, the, the content creation. I shouldn't even say movie, the content creation business, because it's really Paramount and even Paramount TV. The Video content business. creation business is dramatically changing. And having people with tech chops that live and breathe, you know, Brian really came at Awesomeness TV watching his kids, basically watching YouTube in their bed and and using that as sort of the way that they consumed content on mobile phones far more than watching the TV. And that was the original kind of aha moment for Awesomeness. And so I I just think having Brian in this role is awesome. It's going to be very interesting to watch. And the one point, management transitions are really important. Uh, now let's talk about rumors, or I should say speculation, because I hate the word rumors, Brandon. Spec. But what is going on with AEW and WWE well, this is, today? Okay. Well, first of all, um, this came out last night from Brandon Thurston, who is our go-to um, Twitter contributor um, <laughs> for all things wrestling. AEW Dynamite last night on TNT was watched by 1.319 million viewers on average, the second highest in the history of the show. 681,000 were aged 18 to 49, a 0.53 rating, edging out Raw this week, who had 678,000. I mean, that is pretty amazing, first of all. Why is AEW resonating so much? Like, what what happened that AEW is just resonating so much with consumers? Like, did they change something? No, AEW just- didn't change anything. They've kind of continued to stick to um, their more wrestling focused, um, uh, less cheesy, shall I say, um, <laughs> um, scripting and having really good storylines. Um, and now they've brought over some top tier talent to their roster in Punk and uh, Brian Danielson. Daniel Bryan um, is what he was known as um, in WWE. And uh, apparently I did not watch, but Mark did um, Sunday's pay-per-view event 
was absolutely amazing. I think that Mark said um, it was like a top three ever pay-per-view um, for him, or at least in the last several years. So the hardcore wrestling fan um, is is very pleased, and um, and it's it's drawing a lot of attention. That goes back to what we've said about WWE. It's all about the quality of the content, right? And, and and the content has struggled for the and last the content has years. struggled for for a while now. Now, on top of this, today there was um, some article that came out from I I don't even remember the source. It was one that I had never heard of before that said that WWE is preparing to sell itself and that Disney is is uh, the most likely buyer. I. The timing is curious considering um, this AEW um, happened. Uh, you know, the, the news came out yesterday on that, number one. Number two, tonight there's actually an analyst event for WWE um, with all of management. Um, so the timing again is. Isn't there this little thing called Peacock? Well, yeah, well, that's the whole thing, right? Can we just talk so about Peacock NBC, for a NBCU has all of the rights. And I tweeted about this earlier. NBCU and has all the rights except SmackDown, which is Fox. Yet Disney's going to come in and buy the company. It, it, it makes absolutely no sense. So then what people are saying in response to that is, well, it'll happen in two years when the renegotiations start. So... I don't know. It's 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 it seems like this could be getting floated by WWE directly, but who knows? I don't know. This seems absurd. I mean, it just seems like way too early for this discussion, and a lot's going to happen over the next couple of years. But they, it just feel, felt like a stretch of a story. But, event. Yeah, but the ratings thing is important. You know, um, I I believe that um, Raw is getting like, you know three plus four times um, the licensing fee um, than AW is. And, um, you know, and ratings are converging. So what what is that going to mean for the future? It means and that David Zaslav is going to be paying a lot more for AW. Well, yeah, Zaz, yeah Zaz is going to be paying a lot more. A lot more. Assuming they, you know, we don't know what their sports strategy or sort of sports-like strategy is going to be there. Um, but I, I don't know, Vince on the last call, when we talked about this really dismissed AEW and here they are nipping at his heels. I would take the AEW over Olympic rights every day. And I know discovery has been super keen on Olympic rights, but you know, my guess is now that <laughs> they have a U.S. asset or will have sort of a big U.S. franchise, my guess is sports rights will become much more important to the new discovery Warner bros company. Um, let's move on. So last week we talked about Amazon getting into TVs. It actually is true. So there's two, there are multiple lines of TVs are coming out um, officially from Amazon Fire. Uh, interesting, it's out of the Kindle sort of Lab 126 division at Amazon. But that's not really what I want to talk about this week. What's interesting is that there's yet another story about Roku getting into the content business. They licensed a Lionsgate. TV series called Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. I had actually not heard of it, but it, it was a series that Lionsgate created. They licensed all of the back seasons of this series. And on top of that, they're actually creating an original movie with the same cast 
um, for Christmas time. And to me, it just shows that we, you know we've talked repeatedly on the podcast about Chromecast or Google TV getting more aggressive. Uh, we really haven't seen the big marketing campaign, but now we have Amazon coming in with TVs launching in October. Theoretically, there's going to be, I would assume, pretty big presence for these TVs. We know that IMDb TV is going to be rebranded soon. They just bought Sunday Night Football. That starts next year. And they just bought MGM. So it just seems like there's a lot of heat around Amazon and the living room or the living room TV. And it feels like Roku, I'm not saying this is direct response, but you know, in order to sort of maintain its positioning as the dominant player, Roku is trying to differentiate itself with content. Whether it works, I have no idea, but it definitely feels like sort of a page out of the Netflix playbook of using exclusive content as a way of differentiating themselves in a world where, you know, while we may think the Google TV interface is better, using a Roku versus a Google TV versus a Fire TV basically is the same ultimate experience. It doesn't really matter that much, um, even if we have favorites. But we'll see. I guess, Brendan, it matters whether or not we actually see marketing, because right now nobody even knows what an Amazon TV is, I assume. Yeah, I'm sure that'll change. And don't forget, Amazon has <laughs> Amazon.com <laughs> to market. <laughs> so that's right. a that's a pretty major advantage. We've got um, a tweet from Twitter, or sorry, a story on Twitter. How meta. Twitter wants you to tweet to interest-based communities, not just followers. And so what Twitter's doing is they're actually, they talked about this back at their big investor day earlier in the year. But they're actually going to have, instead of sending a tweet out, they're going to have defined communities. It's It feels a little Reddit-like, maybe even Facebook group-like, where you're going to have sort of sub-segments where you can have deeper discussions. And so in this case, it was plant lovers. But you know, certain people will be allowed to create groups, not everybody at the moment. And they're going to be curated. There'll be members of that group. And you can basically, instead of just posting to all of Twitter where something could get lost, you can post into this defined group. It, it feels like for, for Twitter making conversa- certain conversations easier. Maybe this doesn't go anywhere. Maybe this is the next fleet and this disappears and it never, and it dies. Uh, but I do give Twitter a lot of credit. You know, we've been talking about them ex- expanding topics, making it easier to follow topics and just pushing, you know, I think there was a story out this week. Tweets are going to now be full screen or, you know, full width of the screen, especially pictures. They're going to, they're, they're just changing lots of things and trying new things. And I think that iteration more so than whether this is an amazing product, um, you know, we'll see. But I, I do think that I, I, I like the, the pace of innovation feels very different at Twitter than it did, you know, a couple of years ago. Whether people use this, I guess yeah. we'll see. I think the question is going to be, how do you decide whether you tweet to everybody I know, or just I, into a group right. or do you annoying. tweet into both? It yeah, I don't, I don't know how that's going to work. I, I have to use it to actually understand what the use case is. And then our last tweet of the day, Brandon, is, I'm sorry, uh, is crypto. You want to just walk <laughs> through why? Because there's a reason why this is in, in terms of the sequencing of events. Um, so this is from Steph Curry. Just getting started in the crypto game. Y'all got any advice? Question mark, question mark. And Joe Pompliano, breaking. Steph Curry has agreed to a long-term deal with FTX becoming a global ambassador for the crypto exchange. Curry will also receive an equity stake in the company as part of the deal, joining Tom Brady as a shareholder. Um, so that timing. But the, but the, but the funny curious. part was those were like 12 hours after. Each yeah, other, right? I know. I mean, it was it's, literally 12 it was hours. Of, it was kind of stupid, right? Um, but the bottom line with crypto 
is you need ambassadors to get the average person, those who don't have crypto wallets, to understand um, uh, or to begin to understand the technology. The problem with it is that everything is just driven around speculation at this point. The whole NFT craze. Think about this, right? Everybody, like, what's the, what, I mean, Solana has been like, kind of like a big crypto topic, but other than that, and, and lowering gas fees, but other than that, all anyone in the crypto community talks about is the price of crypto and the fact that like NFTs are setting records in terms of prices, not about what the ultimate use cases are for crypto and what is going to um, be the killer application to get consumers um, broadly um, to adopt to crypto outside of payments. And Walter, I think, had a very interesting crypto experience this week, just trying to transfer things between wallets. How long did that take you, Walt? And wh- how did you actually figure it out? Um, YouTube, like all, <laughs> like everyone, like but literally had to watch a YouTube video to figure it out because you couldn't. There was there was no easy explanation well, I think on. It's, you know, it's com- these things are complex. Some aspects of crypto land are complex. Right, but I think that's right of now, and they mean they need to be made more consumer friendly anyway. Yeah, the I problem, think the danger the problem though, is, is, is I that think when a lot of like people Curry in the crypto gets... world, though, are kind of in a crypto bubble, and I don't mean that in terms of asset bubble, but like the conversation is about you know other people Price. using crypto as right. opposed to everybody else. That's a point that I made to somebody this week. And that person I think it's just, tweeted it. <laughs> it's just hard. Um, it's hard to. It, it's hard to see how you you're bringing all of the trying to get all of these regular consumers. So you got people like Steph Curry coming on, right, and Tom Brady, and getting people sort of excited to try to expand the TAM of, of crypto. But the technology is still very rudimentary. Well, hold on. No. I, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, this is exactly what Brandon just said. Is that most people are in crypto based on the price, and it's very simple. You just get a, set up a Coinbase app and you buy it. And now you could argue that the Coinbase app during days of high volatility or volume didn't work well. But but this is Brandon's point that that the crypto discussion is about price, and that is simple. And I don't think Steph went behind, beyond that. Price, not, price and speculation. Right. right. It's not right. And it's not, it's not about, about smart contracts and right. what the and use that, cases that are that's going to make it indispensable to consumers sure. or businesses and all of these other things. Rich, you know, you're not going to need to know how the sausage is made for a crypto credit card to work someday. But, you know, right now, if you're involved in some of these aspects of the crypto market, whether it's lending, staking, whatever it is, like, yes, that is more complex, but that those are that's a different thing. Those are, you know, those are use cases that are that are uh, developing in various forms of crypto. You're rooting for lending not going away, Walt. Um, it's not about lending going away or not going away. It's 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 whether it's considered a security or not. And Walt loves I, I to think, lend crypto. And I have no comment about my personal investments. <laughs> <laughs> But I think uh, that when you say something like lending is going away, you clearly don't like that's a good example of someone that doesn't understand 
what the issues are. Right. How it's going to be regulated, how it's going to be viewed by regulators. It's just how, it's, is the it's how things are treated. Right. Yeah. No, no, I agree. So the, and the there's a lot of, a lot of like, the rules are understand? still to be written. And I think that's well, one of the big issues, and, right? And, and here's like the catch 22 is like people say, oh, it's never going to be used as currency. But then the risk is like, well, the government's going to shut it down. Well, why would the government shut it down if it's never going to be used as currency? Like those things are kind of contradictory. You either think right. that there are use cases. It's, it's clearly going to be used as currency. Okay, well, then maybe you've got banks around the world that are not going to want that to happen or have some you know, different type of regulation. That's, that's the fungible side and the non-fungible side. Um, there's plenty of use cases we can think of. It's Absolutely. just oh, it's smart. Or just seem to be more interested in apes <laughs> and punks Plus, and people love speculations. Mm. Well, I think people like to make money and, and like to understand how no, of, course, right, of course business models are, but like the thought formulated. leaders, you know, if you go through their, their Twitter feed, a bunch of them are like, Oh, like Bitcoin hit 50K, like apes set a record at Sotheby's. That seems to be the measure of success now. Not rather, yeah, than, rather, not, rather than broader use cases for and, the and blockchain and like, crypto in yeah, general. That's right. The discussion just has kind of gotten weak. That's and, all. And, not even, and not even whether the, the, the price points even make sense. Yeah, but that's like, and, and that's what you're training consumers to think of when they think of crypto speculation. And I understand that's like kind of an on-ramp and we've talked about NBA top shot and stuff. Um, but you got to think beyond that. That's all. Well, so it's time for this. For what? I'm scared. It doesn't sound like a wedding song. This sounds like... Oh, you will. Okay. This is very long. You know this song, Walt, don't yeah, you? Yeah, but what's the relevance to your wedding? I don't understand. It's the final countdown. The countdown. It's in like oh, a week. A week left. We've got a week left. We could. Uh, I know you wanted to do Here Comes the Bride or something. something, like that. something we could do that. On the next one, though, because there is one more before That's the wedding. Fair. Well, maybe right? or maybe not. I hope there is. I really want to do one live on Friday, but I'll probably have way too much stuff to do. Definitely. We're going to be shooting our guns, play pigeon shooting. No one, no animals will be harmed in the process. Have a great weekend, everyone. That's episode 72. See you next week. Bye.